Hey, Gateway Church. Welcome. My name is Tony. I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. Big shout out to all of you huddled around your homes, huddled around your phones, your TVs, your uh, computers, your tablets, however you're choosing to watch and participate today. We're so excited that you are here. You're awesome. Uh, We love you. We miss you. Um, Hopefully that you are uh, staying safe, staying healthy, watching out for those um, in your life who uh, are susceptible to what's happening around us and in our country, in our state, in our communities. Uh, But we hope to be back soon. Uh, Just to let you know that we are uh, not planning on an open date, but we're listening, watching, um, trusting that our officials will tell us when it's okay, that there will be guidelines, and, and the church staff and people here are taking those guidelines seriously. Uh, but we will hopefully have a date and time future that we can gather again together. Today is week three of our five-week series that we began on Easter called the 30-Day Easter Challenge. The first week we talked about the evidence. The second week we talked about the need uh, the, the evidence of the resurrection, and then we talked yet last week about the need for the church and how we need each other. And we've been sharing those videos all week long. You can go out to our website. You can go here. Uh, they'll, they'll show it up there on the screen for you. AngolaGateway.com slash Easter. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. We send out emails and post on our Facebook page these five-minute, three- to five-minute daily devotionals. Um, that go with the message. Hopefully they're a blessing to you and just going a little deeper uh, in your faith. But we started this Easter challenge on Easter and it's for the next five weeks. This is week three called The Truth. Let me just start out today by saying life is a journey that is not easy to navigate. Life is a journey that is not easy to navigate. To navigate. I've shared this story with you before, and I apologize if you've heard it and you're like, hey, I've heard this story and I know this, but a few years ago, you know, we took a trip, and I'll just be honest, my life is just not that interesting, and it's hard for me. I hear these preachers come up with these really awesome personal stories, and so when one comes into my life, my, I'm, my life's a little boring, and uh, so when I get a story that's really good, something that happens to me that just connects with a message, Man, I'll beat that thing till uh, it won't go no more. But uh, a few years ago, I shared this story, and uh, I want to share it again because it just fits today. A few years ago, my family and I went on a uh, trip in an RV to South Dakota. We'd never been. We'd never done anything like that. And uh, it was one of the best vacations we ever took. The, most, the, the, the prettiest, most beautiful part of our country uh, that I'd ever seen, uh, the Black Hills and the mountains and all that. But... One day we decided we were going to borrow a car or rent a car and uh, we're just going to take off around, driving around and seeing all these sights. And, you know, if you know my wife, um, you know, if you know me, I'm like squirrel and, you know, and I, I go that way. But if we're driving down the road and there's a trail, my wife goes trail and the family just kind of has to either, uh, you know, well, Long story short, we stopped. My parents were with us. Uh, they couldn't take the hike. It, they said on the map, we actually had a map. We found the trail, and it said it was like a mile, mile and a half trail through some pretty country. So we decided we're going to take this trail. 
And we decided, mom and dad decided, we can't do it. So there was a little place there next to the trail where they stopped. They got some lunch, and uh, they, they did some shopping at this little place. And we decided that we were going to take this trail. And I said, oh, I said, okay, you know, we got time. It's a mile, mile and a half. How hard could it be, right? Uh, we have a map. It's showing us where to go. And, and so we get off on this trail, and we start hiking. And I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be like an hour hour and a half and uh, we're hiking along and an hour becomes two hours and let me tell you th- this was no normal trail I mean we literally I, I think we climbed I'm, I'm sure we did we climbed a mountain I mean this thing was nothing that you would find at Pokagon. it was straight up rocky um, you know, we got up to the top of this thing two hours later. I, I mean, literally, we thought this has got to come to an end. Where's the mile and a half marker? Literally, we got to the top of this mountain. You could see all out, and there was a huge drop-off, and people would go out on these rocks and get pictures, and I was afraid to because it's just like 30 feet too close to the edge. But, you know, it was just this crazy hike, and we're looking at this map, and we're like, the kids are starting to get like, oh, you know. Here, here's a picture of me before the hike our family. This is a picture of us right at the head trail, at the, the, the head of the trail. And we're happy. We're, my kids are hating me right now. We're happy because all my girls are like four or five years older than this and they're hating these pictures, but uh, they all look so young. But uh, we were happy and smiling and this was awesome. And we, but two hours in and we're like, where in the world is the end of this trail? And we're looking at the map and we come to realize that the map wasn't exactly correct because three hours later exhausted and tired mom and dad trying to figure out where we were because cells weren't working we were up on the mountain man this is what I looked like about halfway through yeah exhausted I was exhausted and I was in pain this was a uh, a, well come to find out we got toward the end, we ran into somebody, and we asked them, what's going on? This is a mile and a half. I said, oh, you, back here, the map's not exactly correct, but you went, you went left, and you should have went right. And what should have been a quick, easy, fun route journey turned into a long, hard, exhausting, painful trek that was terrible. I shouldn't say terrible. It, it, we look back on it, but at the moment, it was awful because the map wasn't exactly right. I've learned a couple things through that. First of all, I learned this. The path. The path might seem right. I think we've got that for you. The path might seem right, but fails to take me where I want to go. The path that seems right doesn't always take me where I want to go. The second thing I learned was this. The wrong path for too long can become exhausting and painful. But I learned a third thing, and this is something we all should probably learn how to use, and that is a compass is often better than even a detailed map. Because sometimes the map isn't exactly clear on where you want to go. Sometimes there's a lot of different paths to take. 
But a compass, a compass always points you in the right direction. This is something we learn about God in Scripture. Sometimes we want God to just to lay the whole thing out for us. And He doesn't give us a right turn or a left turn, but He gives us a direction. A direction. A compass will point us north. When I think about my life, when I think about all of the exhausting moments and the painful seasons of my life, when I think about my failures and my regrets, and I'll just simply be honest with you today, rarely, when I look back, rarely do I look back at those exhaustive moments, those, those seasons of pain, those seasons of regret, those bad decisions that I've made, those terrible uh, life-altering decisions that I've made in my life rarely do I look back and say that those happened in a momentary bad decision. Those decisions weren't made in a moment. They weren't made in a vacuum. No, my biggest regrets in life came because over time, weeks and months and years, I believed something. I believed something to be true that wasn't. And I behaved based off of those beliefs. Do you see what I'm saying? The biggest regrets in my life, the the biggest mistakes that I've made, the challenges, the exhaustive moments, the painful moments, those times that I just got it wrong, it didn't just happen in a moment, but it's because I lived daily and weekly and monthly and yearly And I built up a number of bad decisions based off of a belief that I had that wasn't true and behavior that was based off of that false belief. I lived my life based on what I believed or felt or what made me happy. And I behaved based off of that false belief. And I woke up one day full of regrets and even living with some pain in my life because of those decisions. Life is a journey that's not always easy to navigate. So do me a favor, and I can't see you, but you're at home. Just raise your hand if you found that to be true in your life. Raise your hand if you have found that to be true in your life. I bet you never thought something that you chose to do when you were younger for fun with your friends would turn into something painful, life-crushing, an addiction that you just can't overcome. I bet when you sat around and had fun with your friends, partaking in certain habits, that you never thought one day you would lose your family, your finances, your health. I bet you thought your marriage would last forever. Never in a million years did you think that your marriage would come to an end. Nobody stands at an altar and says, I do, and has an oath and thinks, wow, this is never going to last. I bet you thought that you gave yourself to that person. You gave yourself physically because you thought he would love you forever. And now three guys, four guys later, you still think that's true. If you can just find the right one. I bet you thought all that stuff that you went into debt would just make your life awesome. 
how awesome is those payments now? And you're unable to help others at this needy time because you've gone so far in over your head. I get it. We've all been there. Life is a journey that is not easy to navigate. Life is a journey that is not easy to navigate. We need a compass that points true north. We need to know the truth about me, about life, about others, about living. We need to know what the truth really is. And the challenge for us today is the very topic of this message. What is truth? How do we make good decisions based on what is true? It's not easy today. We live in a very pluralistic, a very relative, postmodern world where truth is simply what others think is true for them. That's not truth. That's shifting sand. So many voices shouting at us today, telling us what to believe, telling us how to behave. The paths in life are so many, it's hard to know what truth, what is truth, what is right, what is wrong. Is there a God? What's he like? Does he even care what I believe or how I behave? You don't have to be a religious person to know that humanity has wrestled with these questions since we have been on this earth. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Immanuel Kant, all of these men were famous philosophers, but there are hundreds before them and hundreds after them who wrestle with this question, what authority, what authority should drive my beliefs and behavior? What authority should drive my beliefs and behaviors? Well, Jesus tackled this. Jesus went right at it. Jesus tackled the same question with those people around him who were following him and listening to him 2,000 years ago. He tells a parable. It's a parable called the parable of the wise and foolish builder. And we're going to look at that today. But before we do, I need to give you just a little background. Matthew, we're going to be in the, in the book of Matthew in, in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew in chapter 7, around verse 24 through 27. Uh, But before I get there, a little background. Matthew gives this account of one of Jesus' greatest teachings. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Many have called it, you know, kind of this new way to live. This new way to believe. Kind of sounds like what we're talking about today, right? The new way. You might say that the sermon challenged the listeners of Jesus' day, and it challenges us. It challenged the listeners' old way of believing and their old way of behaving. And Jesus comes out and he gives them a new way to believe, a new way to behave. Not just rules, because rules can be twisted. Rules can be uh, shed in a light so that I look good and I might be a rule keeper, but Jesus says it's deeper than just keeping rules. It's deeper than just doing and not doing No, Jesus gave a new way to believe and behave based on love, based on the condition of a person's heart. Jesus, uh, in this part of the text, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, 
This is where Jesus gives all of his, and, and you'll see it, this, you heard it said, right? You've heard it said. You've heard it said, do not commit murder. And everybody's like, yep, I've never commit murder. And Jesus then will say, yeah, but I tell you, if you hate your brother or sister in your heart, you're no different than a murderer. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I thought I just had to keep the rule, don't murder. I've not murdered, but man, I hate that guy. Jesus gives them a new way to believe and to behave. You, may, you have heard it said, he says, do not commit adultery. Yep, never cheated on my wife. Well, if you look at a woman in the wrong way, you've committed adultery in your heart. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus just raised that bar way up. An eye for an eye. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. You've heard it said, hate your enemies. He says, I'm telling you, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. New way of believing. This would have been a radical. This would have been a radical, radical new way to believe and behave for them. And it still is today. If I really think you should spend some time this week reading Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and just getting in there. But I'm going to push us forward to the end of the sermon. The very last thing that Jesus says in his message. You can say it's the exclamation point of the story. It's the conclusion of this great teaching. And in any good conclusion, he kind of would bring everything down to this one moment and just drive it home. I want to read the story to you and then we'll talk about it. I got three just insights that I want to share with you about it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Let's read. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had a it had its foundation. Now listen, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The first thing that I notice in this whole passage of Scripture is this. Jesus, right up front, makes a bold and radical claim. Did you hear it? He says, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, authority. He's saying, listen, believe me, trust me, listen to what I'm telling you. These are my words. And what I'm about to tell, what I have told you has authority on earth. It's bold. My words are important. My words are special. My words are different than anything else that you've ever heard before. They're truth. They're truth. 
You need to hear this. Jesus makes a truth claim by adding this to the end of his sermon. He makes a truth claim. This is true of what I am saying. And then he goes on, he says this. Don't just hear them, but then he says, put them into practice. Behavior. Behave in a way. Make choices. Make decisions based off of what I have said. It's important that you don't just hear it, but that you do it. And then Jesus takes this truth claim. My words are important and you must, you need to do this. And he compares this statement. He compares his words and us doing it to the difference between life and death. That's bold. That's a big, bold statement. Listen, a lot, and I know what you're thinking because I've thought this too. A lot of religious leaders, a lot of religions have made truth claims in our world. Over the history of humanity, religions older than Jewish religions and older than the Christian religion. The Hindus say Atman is Brahman. Islam says Allah is merciful. Buddhism says all the Buddhas are one. And after religion, after religion, after religion, they all make truth claims. Why does Jesus and the Bible get to be the authority on truth and behavior? Why does Jesus, who is this guy? I mean, who died and made this guy the authority, right? He did. And that's the point. I understand the question. I too ask this many times in my life. Why does the Bible get to be different than any other sacred text? Why does Jesus get to be different than any other religious leader, any other religious and belief system? They all make truth claims. Why does Jesus's get to be up here above everyone else? If I simply believe because the Bible tells me so, that's not really a good argument because there's a lot of religious books that make truth claims. You might want to go back, and this is my chance to get you to go back to our website, angolagateway.com, and listen to Easter Sunday. There I talked about the evidence. I talked about the overwhelming strong evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And this is important because we don't follow Jesus because the Bible makes a truth claim. We don't make the Bible the foundation of our belief system and our behavior system because the Bible makes a truth claim. All kinds of religious books make truth claims. What makes the Bible different is not that its truth claims are better than someone else's, but that Jesus, the center of the whole book, died and was resurrected, and no one else can say that. There's evidence, witnesses, martyrs, Jesus' brother James. I asked you, what would it take for your brother to convince you were the Son of God? A resurrection? The church exploded onto the scene. Because eyewitnesses saw Jesus alive. Why would anyone die for a lie that they made up? I'm not here to convince you to believe because the Bible tells you so. 
I'm simply asking you to start with Jesus and his resurrection. Jesus is all over the Bible. From the beginning to the end, he is the fulfillment of all of it. The Bible is believable, not because it makes a better truth claim. The Bible is believable because the center of the main character of the Bible died and was raised from the dead. The resurrection makes the Bible believable, not the other way around. And so I'm here today not to get you to just believe a truth claim, but Jesus makes this bold and radical claim to listen to my words and obey them. Why? Because I've been in the grave and I've coming out alive. I want to know that guy who can go and die and go into a grave for three days, come out. I want to know him. I want to follow him. And that's why we follow. The second thing that I noticed that Jesus says in the story is every one of us will face hard times in life. Whether you're a Christian or not, one thing we can all agree on is that all of us are building a life. Every decision, every right turn, every wrong turn, we're building a re- relationships, we're building marriages, we're building families, we're building careers. Every decision that we make, whether we're a believer or not, we're building a life. And some of us knows what it's like to build high and to see it all come crashing down. But life is also made up of things and events that are completely out of our control. There are some things that we suffer because of the choices we've made, and there's other things that we suffer simply because we're human. Even those who follow Jesus will face hard times. Jesus' parable tells us this, that it's not a matter of if, it's not a matter of if, but when it's going to rain in your life. Believing the right things will not guarantee a comfortable life. Doing the right things does not always guarantee a comfortable life. Hardship is something that we all will face. Jesus did not say the wise and the unwise, that the wise did not have problems and the unwise did. No, he said both of them had problems. And that's true for all of us. The third thing Jesus says that is a standing, just really stands out to me in this text is that this. He basically says that Jesus, the text says that Jesus is the true foundation that holds life together. And this is really the point of the whole parable when Jesus talks about the wise and foolish builder. The point of the whole story But it raises some questions for me, and maybe it does for you too. And I'm talking to you who maybe are not as quick to just believe. You're not as quick to just trust. You're not as quick to just buy into another truth claim. Because I have these questions too, and I think it's okay to ask these questions. And I ask myself, what exactly is Jesus talking about when he says, it did not fall? He's talking about the house. He's talking about the life. The life did not fall. Well, the house obviously is the life that the person's built. You've got a wise builder and a foolish builder. The wise builder's house or life stood. 
the foolish one crashed. And so that brings to question, what exactly does Jesus mean about the wise builder's house did not fall? Is Jesus saying that if I hear his words and put them into practice, that my life will not fall apart? It doesn't make sense to me. I've lost things and people even when I believed. I have felt at times that my life was coming apart even though I was faithful to Jesus. In 2009, my family was doing well and the first big recession hit and I lost my job and we faced a whole year of financial hardship. Uncertain of what was around the corner. I felt like my life was coming apart. I've sat next to the bed of a godly person and a godly family as they watched the person suffer and slowly die of cancer. It felt like life was falling apart. I've counseled the spouse of a person who loves Jesus, but his or her marriage was falling apart and out of their control in some ways. Today, the world seems to be coming apart. <laughs> Jesus followers are affected by the COVID-19. It respects no one. Is Jesus telling us that if we hear his words and put them in practice, that we'll be spared from the storms of life? I don't think so. So what is he talking about? You remember that this is the conclusion of a much larger sermon, a much larger story. And I think in order for us to understand it, I want to go just a couple verses before the parable. And look what it says. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, there's a kingdom. in. I thought I was building my life. I thought I was building my life, my relationships, my marriage, my finances, my life picture. And now you're telling me there's another kingdom involved. <clears throat> Jesus says, but only those who do. Oh, there's that word do. He just said, if you listen to my words and put them into practice, there's something we have to be doing. If only... if." You will do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now listen, many will say on that day. What is that day? He's talking about the day that we all stand before God and give an account of our lives. That we give it a tour of the houses we've built. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? That sounds like some pretty good doing stuff right there. But look what Jesus says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Maybe the goal of life is not that I have the best marriage or that I have the best friends or that I have the most money that I can make 
or the most secured retirement that I can secure. Maybe life isn't just about my comfort and having a pain-free life. Maybe it's not just about building a life that's protected from the storms, because we're all going to face them. Maybe the goal of life is not to just build one that I'm happy with. Maybe my happiness is not the key to believing and obeying Jesus. Sometimes we equate God's blessing with my behavior. And this is an old thing that we, we do and If I'm good, God will be good to me. If I'm bad, God will be bad to me. If things are going well in my life, I must be living clean. If things are going not so well in my life, what am I doing wrong? I don't think that's the case here. The truth is, following Jesus might actually cost you everything. Everything that you've built in your life, you may lose for the kingdom. Maybe the best life is not a good and comfortable life, one that looks great on the outside, but maybe the best house that we can build is a house that has the joy, a life that has the joy of knowing that the king of the kingdom, the king of the kingdom is my Lord and my friend, that I know him. Maybe the best life is one that isn't built for me, but one that is built to be on display in the kingdom. Because a life that is built in the kingdom is built on truth, the words of Jesus. A life that is built for the kingdom is built on justice and unconditional love. Everything here will come to an end. Everything. Even those who follow Jesus will not be here anymore. But Jesus' kingdom is forever. The best life is knowing I am a citizen of that kingdom and that the king, I know him. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my Lord. You see, life is a journey that is not easy to navigate And the wrong path for too long will become exhausting and even painful. Maybe you're feeling exhausted and the pain is there and it's going the wrong direction for you. And you understand that I'm going the wrong way. There's a lot of voices telling you what to believe and how to behave. Telling you how you should believe and how you should behave. But what is truth? What is real? Knowing Jesus is as real as it gets. He died for you. He was raised from the dead for all of us. Jesus made a way through life. And he made a way through the grave. And he invites all of us to follow him. To build a life that is not about me. But to build a life that is based on the kingdom and its principles and the words of its king, Jesus. So at the end of the story, it says this in Matthew seven twenty-eight: 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song to close out our service today. How are you building your life? What are you building in your life? Your marriage, your friendships, your relationships, your careers, your finances, all of it. If you build it for the kingdom and not just you, it's good. It'll stand the test of time. But if you build it for just you and not for the kingdom, it will not stand. When the water rains come, the waters rise and the wind blows. Build your life for Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, I encourage you to raise your hand on the screen. Our host will pop that up there. You can tell us that I'm asking Jesus into my life. I'm today believing Him, hearing His words, and I'm going to begin to do what He says to do and build my life for the kingdom. As I sing who, as I sing this song, um, if you would like to give your heart and life to Jesus, make him Lord of your life. Raise your hand. Fill out a form. Let us know. We'll reach out to you and help you with that decision. God bless.